Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Bob Gold, is the chief clinical behavioral technologist and founder of GoMo Health. Bob Gold is one of the world's leading behavioral technologists with more than 20 years applied research and development in the behavioral and cognitive science of human motivation, activation, and resiliency with a specialty in the design of clinical care plans and digital therapeutics that integrate psychosocial factors and personal determinants into physical and behavioral care plans for chronic and complex population health management. With a focus in diversity, equity, and inclusion for underserved vulnerable populations. Bob focuses his energy on recrafting clinical care plans and medication therapies into behaviorally based remote care coordination, transitions of care, and rehabilitation recovery digital therapy programs to achieve a sustainable population health business model for health systems, health plans, pharmaceutical companies, and governments, reducing adverse events such as unnecessary ED visits and readmissions, collecting valuable EPROs or electronic patient reported outcomes and taking advantage of opportunities for Medicaid and Medicare value-based and remote patient monitoring reimbursements associated with the implementation of these programs. His evidence-based methods provide an individualized, disciplined, and nurturing experience within the framework of a person's lifestyle and typical day while improving satisfaction and adherence, especially for complex and chronic conditions that include comorbidities and difficult to navigate patient health journeys. Bob's behavioral RX and concierge care system also have shown to bring back joy and practice for doctors and nurses, enabling them to spend more time on high impact clinical work. Bob, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary. Well, thanks for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard a bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a bit about your personal life. Sure. Um, by the way, I uh, owned and operated an organic farm for uh, five years. And I also um, owned an entertainment studio called Magnet Pictures. We won a couple Emmy Awards. So those are some things I've done in my eclectic uh, career, uh, but always I'm working at the intersection of cognition, behaviors, and human engagement. So that's just a little bit about me. Fascinating. Well, you seem to be a jack of all trades, um, so I'm sure we'll have a great conversation. And you know, most of our listeners are pharmacists, and so. Um, you know, speaking of adherence and how, what are some things that we can do so that um, that can be improved, especially for these patients who are on uh, chronic uh, medication therapy uh, is something certainly of interest uh, in that. Because of course we can, you know, first we got to get patients access to their medicine and then they've got to take it. So um, maybe we could kind of jump in there about 
um, some of your work in medication therapy. And then, you know, something that, uh, that, you know, I do a lot in my work is, um, focused on vulnerable underserved communities. So maybe even, um, speak a little to that as well. Okay. So I think we'll start Hillary with the first. So I work hard at educating the healthcare world of why we need to elevate the role of the pharmacist in a multidisciplinary care plan. And if you just look at it simply, if you go back 20, 30 years, the number of available drugs in the market weren't what they are now. Uh, There's much more medication combination therapies. And it's so difficult for a doctor to keep up with the pharmacology and the effects and if people are on multiple meds where the pharmacist is better suited. So uh, definitely because our system of care uh, interacts with almost 10 million lives a month, in cases we're able to get the pharmacist involved up front um, on the strategy and design of the therapies and then get them continuous feedback loop outcomes have shown to be significantly better and um, a quicker result in adjusting formulary or adjusting meds where necessary. So just wanted to say I'm a big advocate for uh, a bigger role of the pharmacist in today's health plan delivery. Great. Well, we we certainly thank you for that support and um, and appreciate uh, that recognition. It's certainly been um, elevated over the past two years, um, of course, with COVID and everything. But yeah, so so Bob, um, yeah, let's let's keep talking more about sure um, medication therapy and and so, your work there. So let's start with um, why, in so many cases, you know, people spend the life science industry and pharmacists spend a lot of time on precision medicine and trying to get the formulary correct. But if in many cases, over 50% of the people on the medications aren't taking it properly uh, or at all, uh, how precise is that really? So what I do in my science is several things. One is a lot of people don't even understand why they should be on the med. They may or may not trust the doctor, you know, especially some underserved different populations are very distrustful of healthcare in general. Um, And then when they're on the medication, there may be things they need to do within their lifestyle to realize the overall benefit of the entire care plan. And they may not have their own self-trust and credibility to figure out how to do that or understand how to do that. So I'll get into some of the techniques we use and the methodologies we do because the end result, for example, in our heart failure program, just to use that, we've been successful at achieving over 90% adherence to medication therapy over a much longer period of time versus a much lower national average. Uh, Because think about it. Let's just use that as one of many examples. Um, A person gets out of the hospital. um, The discharge nurse is telling them all the things they need to do to adjust 
uh, so they don't come back in. It could be different ways to move, exercise, eating, lifestyle, trying to get someone to quit smoking. You're on a different combination of medications. Um, it's cognitive overload. So what happens a lot of times is, uh, and they're typically under high levels of anxiety and stress. Most people with chronic conditions on any given day have various levels of anxiety and stress. So just so we all know from just a physiological perspective, when you hit certain levels of anxiety or stress, it really blocks any of the electrical signals from short to long-term memory. So whether you're a pharmacist, a nurse, a doctor, you're telling patients things a lot of times when they're under stress and then they end up back in the hospital. I don't understand why uh, Hillary forgot or did that. And I'll say to the clinician, Hillary probably didn't forget. She never remembered it to forget, even though you believe you told her a few times, right? So um, the idea is, how do you work with people in their lived environment and support their psychosocial state? Because the brain decides what to do, what to be adherent to, what to listen to, what to learn. So we have a way of, in our digital therapeutic, of engaging people mostly through text messages. So there's no app to download. There's no technology to install. And then we ask them a lot of questions, they respond, and we adjust the content and the therapy uh, to a person's lifestyle. So for example, in the heart failure, the top three comorbidities in heart failure are renal, smoking, diabetes, and everyone needs some emotional coping support. So based on your primary condition and your secondary, GOMO's telling you things you may need to do. We're asking you questions. We're adjusting. So for example, if you can't sleep and we have a way of asking in a friendly way, whether it's acute or chronic, we don't ask it like that. And let's say Hillary says, okay, I typically go to sleep at 10 o'clock. Around eight o'clock, we'll start sending you little things you can do to put you in more of a parasympathetic state, get you to relax, you know, those types of things. So we're working with you in your lifestyle and what ends up happening, and we're educating you along the way of why you should be adherent. Okay, but really the reason why we get five times the level of reciprocity because it's not just what you should do. It's not just a reminder to take the pill or show up for the refill. It's helping the person based on their feedback of what they need help with in the moment and being there for them, like a concerned friend or knowledgeable healthcare professional who's walking around with them all through the digital technology. So in the tech world, we'd be called machine learning or AI or a bot but it's mostly through text messages. So the person begins to trust the information. They be also begin to trust themselves that they could follow the care plan. They could do these things. We basically give them a thought at a time, an activity at a time. They get to do something. We reward them in the digital therapeutic. They're feeling good. You know what? Maybe I could change a couple things 
you know what? I will stay on this med and change my lifestyle. They begin to believe in themselves, boost their own self-trust and self-credibility. That changes their outlook. The changing someone's outlook slightly gets them to form new routines, which form schedules, which form habits, right? So we we're messaging people and helping them form a new habit, which from a neuroscience, it causes, you know, the brain to have neuroplasticity changes in the brain in a positive way, increased muscle memory about what they should do. Oh, hey, when I walk my dog, I'll take my pill when I do this, you know, the so we'll start to correlate things they do in their lifestyle to how do you stay adherent to the meds and why you should stay adherent. And the last thing I want to just say is by understanding in many cases over a hundred different life factors, not just clinical data about people, we get ahead of adverse events. So we, we have predictive patterns of when we know a person may come off the med or when they're not going to be adherent. Also, the way we ask questions gets at, are they building any toxicity that could end up in the emergency department? Could we get ahead of that? And then we escalate to the appropriate clinician. So if it's a situation where there are multiple clinicians available, uh, we could escalate to a physician, a nurse, a social worker, if it's behavioral, a pharmacist, and based on what we learn. So by interacting with people, by asking them questions, by learning, and by escalating to healthcare professionals so they don't have to be in front of a screen monitoring, they could perform a high-impact task. GOMO is able to scale the amount of people that are engaged by thousands-fold um, because we're doing it in a digital therapeutic and using the human professionals when it seems like there's a high impact case. And that's how we bring them back joy in practice because they could make a difference when it really matters. Otherwise, how do you know in advance when someone shows up in the ED? Usually you don't know till afterwards. So those are some of the techniques we use, Hillary. Awesome. So it's, it's really more of kind of a triaging um, solution. So you can kind of get ahead of things and refer them to a, a, to the appropriate people. Um, sounds fascinating. So, um, how could you know how to how to would pharmacists um, you know refer patients or or begin to use some of these techniques or refer patients that might be you know at an increased risk for some adverse um, so- events. So let's start with the simple use cases in terms of what type of pharmacy environment. So let's just take uh, specialty pharmacy and then pharmacies within a hospital or some sort of clinic like an FQHC, and then we can move to a retail pharmacy environment. But hospitals that are associated, uh, pharmacists that are associated let's say, with a uh, hospital clinic, FQHC, specialty pharmacy, or even a healthcare plan, a payer, a lot of those are our clients who engage GOMO to um, 
engage the folks on the medication to keep them adherent. And then those are customized to the business rules of that organization and the medication people are on. So the questions vary based on various medications. So to take an extreme example, we have in oncology, we have an infusion at home program. So GOMO manages about 15 different infusion agents. Uh, We interface to the logistics system. So some need to be refrigerated. So we tell them when it's supposed to arrive, uh, what to expect, some side effects, how to deal with those. And then we We've worked with our pharmacy clients to, on escalation. So they will say, hey, if, if someone says they're constipated and GOMO, you send them things to do with that. But 24 hours later, ask them again, Hillary, are you still constipated? That's when we want to know, you know, because if it's a continued, let's say, diarrhea, constipation, to use that as an example, we know that's definitely an early warning sign. Something's going to happen. So can you escalate to us? So basically we work with the pharmacy team to understand uh, what are some side effects we need to message and help the people with, what are some toxicity issues that we can escalate? When could things go awry? And then also what we do in a lot of our programs since we're interfaced to the pharmacy management system, let's say three days before a refill, we'll say, Hillary, are you planning to refill? Yes, no, not sure. So if you say no or not sure, up pops the eight top reasons, and we know those from doing this a long time, why you wouldn't refill, right? So it's don't understand why I'm on the drug. You know, my doctor gave me samples going away, on vacation, uh, too many side effects. So, and we say checks which one of these apply. And depending what it is, GOMO is able to support you and nurture you as to why you should refill. Others would be an escalation to the practice or so, or pharmacist or whoever it may be. Um, so that's how we also, let's say, help Pharmacies increase their own medication adherence, star ratings, and CQA, HEDIS ratings, and other value-based quality measures that they may be under uh, these days. Yeah, absolutely. Can certainly see a lot of the value um, for you know all the different stakeholders. Um, because yes, we do we do have to, you know, show those metrics and things. Um, fascinating. So, you know, one of the other things, um, of course, you know, being able to, to punt to the right healthcare professional, um, at the right time is important, but are there any other ways that you're empowering, you know, the patient and maybe the, the family caregiver, um, on things to do? Yeah. So, um, I just want to say, like, because I do some education at some med schools, a farm D school, masters in health administration. So, like, let's say pharmacists, like a lot of clinicians, are taught motivational interviewing techniques. Mm-hmm. But there's some other 
very interesting, quick questions that a pharmacist could ask, like, Ms. Jones, uh, do you believe you can follow this medication plan? Or Ms. Jones, do you have confidence you're able to do what you need to do? You know, those types of questions. So there's a series of like three to four questions that could really clue a pharmacist in maybe in the few minutes they have with the person, how to engage them or what topics um, to cover. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you, you mentioned underserved vulnerable communities we work in, mm-hmm. so we work a lot in Medicaid. We work a lot with FQHCs. We do a lot of work in very rural and very urban environments. And, you know, sometimes people need to unlearn to learn. Like people have these beliefs as to what medication could do for them and why or what it can't do. And uh, I don't have time to get into it today, but there's certain ways, certain quick things that you could get to know about a person that may help you nudge them toward being more, you know, adherent. And those would vary those nudges in a highly underserved community that has different levels of trust in healthcare and believability in their own community. So having said that, caregivers are really critical. I think it's almost 20% of Americans are caregivers in the United States of America. We know we have an aging population and um, it's complicated, like I said, with now people with comorbidities, they have a lot of different meds. So in many cases, the caregiver is the key to adherence and any positive outcomes because maybe the caregiver is cooking or helping them move or helping them take the medication, the insulin, whatever it may be. So, yeah, so in our system, we encourage care family members to sign up. And what we do is two things. One is um, we empower the caregiver with things to do to help the patient. Maybe they should be putting a pillow and having their knees up at night or doing these tasks. And a lot of times they can't always be with the patient, with the doctor or with the pharmacist. So they, they try to help. But if they're not empowered with what to do to help, sometimes they actually do the wrong things. And then secondly, um, about 20% of the caregivers in the United States are depressed because they don't have any balance. They, They have a lot to do in their own life. They have this loved one that's tough and they're really depressed. So the other thing we do is we give coping techniques to caregivers about their own life, balance, you know, are you working caregiver? Are you not? Here's how to do some things. Here's what you need to do to de-stress, right? Because if you look at the data, um, patients um, under the care of a caregiver, oh, the overall cost to society and the medical community could either be less by an average of a few thousand a year or more. It's interesting data when you really dive into the data and the emotional state of the caregiver and look at the medical costs. So yeah, that's a really important component. So 
I would say to the pharmacist, wherever you can, if you can call over, if someone's coming or the caregiver is actually picking up the drugs or they're in a room, I would try to get the family unit together and give the messaging because health is a family issue for those lucky enough to have a family. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Um, gosh, well, we've gotten a lot of interest, fascinating tips, um, that, that you all are doing and, and have, um, you know, information for now, Bob, do you have, are you tracking any of these results and things like, where can we go to find some of the outcomes? Um, so if you go, to show? we have dozens of dozens of medical economics verified outcomes. If you go to gomohealth.com, uh, G-O-M-O health.com, we probably have five or six white papers with deep outcomes. Um, we have use cases with outcomes. Um, Gomo Health also has a YouTube channel with some videos that explain our science and what we do. Uh, for those interested in the science, it's the white papers really get into the application of a way to do behavior modification that's fascinating. So I would say uh, Gomo Health uh, is good. And um, if anyone's interested in really going deeper, you could fill out one of the forms and request a demo or presentation or cons consultation as well. Awesome. Fascinating. Well, Bob, um, we so appreciate you um, sharing some of the, the great work that you've been doing. And as our final question that I love to ask all of our guests is, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for others out there who are just getting started in their career? I would say for a pharmacist to really focus on the following for some reason, the medical community healthcare has separated the mind from the body. If you think about it, everything above the neck is, quote, supplemental benefits, vision, eye care, your oral cavity, and certainly really doesn't get to the brain. But most of the people you're giving that medication bottle to have various levels of anxiety, stress, distress, coping, family issues and underserved social determinants, personal determinants. And I would say, um, even though the, the bulk of your training is on the pharmacology and how to do that in practice, really focus on above the, the mind. And that could be the secret to determining a more precise medication therapy. Because just to, and I'll end with one quick example of how we get involved a lot in complex therapies. But let's say there's two different choices of medication therapies. And one maybe is a little bit more complex to stay on and one maybe, but it could work a lot better. And one is simpler, but may not work as well. Well, if you don't really understand the human or you're not learning about the human, maybe person A could deal with the more complex, it'll work. But if they can't, you don't want to give them that therapy if they're just not going to do it. And maybe you should have given them therapy B. So 
all my summary is just focus and try to get some more education, learning, training, uh, what goes on cognitively and how it affects people's behavior around medications. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, Bob, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary, and enjoy the day and hopefully get to the beach more often. (laughs) The beach is always great. It's good for that mind-body connection and self-care, huh? Right. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening. 